1: you've got a lovely pink background and i got also... bored i got bored stephanie
0: I'm... in lockdown and i painted this room deep pink and the one upstairs really deep teal and i love them
1: <laughs> i'm i'm going minimalist yeah
2: i'm just on a grid
1: <laughs> are you in the corner
0: of your living room benjamin
2: uh this is my studio it's my little studio cool
0: so, cool, cool. Oh, I know what I forgot to do before sitting down, which is to pick up the copy of the paperback that's out very soon because I want to show you the dedication. Only three copies in existence that I know of, apart from the review copies that have gone out due out here on May 5th. And two things I want to show you in the front of it. The first is from a lunch I went to a couple of weeks ago that you just may have seen some things about. I handed my own book to JK Rowling and said, <laughs> could you could you write it? <laughs> So she wrote, Helen, you were a game changer with Love Always Joe, and I will treasure it forever. And then on the next page, dedicated to Stephanie Davies R.I. with admiration and gratitude. So that's
1: what I wanted to show you. I'm thrilled and honored.
2: So, you know what? I would like to put you guys in the hot seat and have you introduce each other so I don't have to do it.
0: Oh, I'm going to um, go first then, because right, I want to tell right, the world right. about Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> so when I started to look into this in 2017, Stephanie had already been in this for, I think, two years at that point, And there was hardly anything out there at the time about... This whole gender identity thing or what was happening in schools or what was happening to kids or anything like that. There were maybe three or four people, mostly anonymous, writing. And I think Stephanie was the only person who was writing under her own name. And I think she'd already set up or was about to set up Transgender Trend then. And that was absolutely a game changer here in the UK. Like people abroad look and they say, "How come you're a turf island? You know, how come you guys are getting such traction? How come it's possible to get stories into the paper that aren't just about, you know, sainted trans children and how we should put everybody on puberty blockers and let them all decide what which sex they want to be when they're 15?" The answer is because of Stephanie. So, that's my introduction
1: for Stephanie. Uh, thanks, Helen. Um, yeah, so it was 2015 that I set up Transgender Trend and what I've seen develop since then has been incredible. Um, and Helen started writing pieces just around 2017 and it was been a really piece in, in The Economist, brilliant piece on conversion therapy you right? um, wrote and Under Your Own Name, of course, and then has produced this book, which I think is, yeah, it's gone wild, and it appeals to the layperson. So it's real documentation of the history of a movement in the UK. Um, so it's a historical record of what's gone on in the UK, which has led us to where we are now. And the brilliant thing about it is that it's accessible to anybody to read. It really lays it out very clearly. And so, um, people who don't know about this issue, it's the book to get to, you know, get yourself up to speed on what's happening and why we're seeing um, what we're seeing now in in terms of um, uh, um, male rapists in women's prisons, etc., all of that kind of thing, and people coming to it thinking what's going on. Helen's is the book to get, so it's a really important and groundbreaking book.
2: And it's called Trans. I cannot recall yeah. the subtitle. Um,
1: Trans when ideology meets reality.
2: Yes.
0: Which was my father's suggestion. Um, I got three or four suggestions from people and my editor chose that one. And I'm very glad because it does sum it up, doesn't it? I mean, I, I often think of the metaphor of like digging the channel tunnel or something. You start at both ends, but at some point you have to meet in the middle. And so you can start at the sex end or you can start at the gender end. But at some point you end up with the body of a child and some decisions to make about the body of that child or you end up in a prison with somebody who says he's a woman, but he's just raped somebody, you know, or or all these other situations where you've been saying nice things, but suddenly you hit bedrock reality in the form of people's bodies in the form of sexual violence, privacy. Yeah. Biology.
2: And the UK is making, you guys have a lot of cases or lawsuits. I don't know the technical term because all that lawfare stuff kind of lumps together in my head, but there's a lot of kind of groundbreaking, work within the law system in the UK. And we've seen that with Kira Bell. uh, And there's more to talk about with that, which was a female-to-male-to-female detransitioner. And she sued the people in charge of, uh, you know, overseeing that or... uh, speeding her down that path and then there's the other uh lawsuits around speech codes with uh, forced dater and uh allison bailey as well i don't know exactly why she is suing um stonewall um but if if we want to go in that direction it'd be nice to just kind of understand why do you think that it's uk law that this is playing out in uh what what's particular of uk law or i guess just the british uh relationship to society that's using law and how is that successful um how has it been successful what are the feelings of that and
0: um, i mean stephanie was very involved with kira so i think she should probably
1: start on that i think it's it, it's a route and it's it, you know it's a last resort route when other things have failed so uh, another case was the, the, the tavistock gender identity Development service with Sonia Appleby, who was um, safeguarding lead, and um, so she won her case. um, The Tavistock um, basically um, didn't, or sort of prevented um, clinicians from consulting with her, and and she experienced a lot of uh, a sort of discrimination within her job. So. These have all been um, high-profile cases. Um, Safe Schools Alliance um, challenged schools guidance in court, um, which didn't go ahead, but it, it led to the schools guidance being withdrawn. Um, and all of these cases are a result of a lot of work be- before that to try and get these issues sorted out. But the last recourse is law, and the law I think works well in in these cases. You can either Sue somebody, or you can bring a judicial review that that looks at the issue and produ- produces a judgment. And the Kira Bell case was absolutely pivotal in what's happened since at the Tavistock. But that was a result. I mean, it started with Sue Evans, who initially brought the case, who was a psychiatrist at the Tavistock Jids. She was a whistleblower in 2005, so, um, Sue Evans. Um, she brought the case... And then Kira came along, and it was decided that, that Kira would be the, the person to take it on. Or Kira made that decision very courageously to take it on. And I think it was probably for the world, the first introduction to the fact of what actually this treatment does to the body of young people and children. And the first the, the world's attention was drawn to the issue of those who regret the treatment and the fact that they are rushed into the treatment without proper examination, exploration, investigation and diagnosis beforehand. So it's a hugely shocking case and it it reverberates still and you can still see the effects. And I think what's happening in America at the moment with the really sort of established high profile gender doctors like Erica Anderson, Mossy um, Bowers, um, Laura Edmonds Salik speaking out. I think all of this is is the result, basically, of Kira Bell, and, and and Mrs A. We we'll mustn't forget Mrs A, who also joined Kira in bringing that case. But but Kira was named and 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 has, you know, risked being a public figure um, through this. So she's um, you know. That case, I think, has really changed everything. So I think a a sort of a broader answer to your question why the law and why
0: here, Ben, is um, the laws here aren't bad, is one reason. And we've got a lot more rights here. And in, in particular, trans people have a lot more rights here. Like trans identified people have been protected in law here since the 1990s. And so when you get to the point of saying, well, look, some of this has gone too far, or we need to think of women's rights, too, or we need to think of children's safeguarding, too. It's not like in the States where, you know, trans people had no rights and you would feel bad about trying to stand up for yourself because there might be some suffering person on the other side of it. So here, you know... Trans identification was protected under the heading gender reassignment. Sex is a protected characteristic, and the law says it means sex, really sex, not gender identity. Um, Religion and belief are protected characteristics. And even though practice had gone really badly wrong, the law wasn't wrong. The law saw all these things as important and none of them trumping the others. So when organizations started to impose speech codes or you know, to insist that uh, men could get into women's spaces if those men said they were women, that sort of thing. There was a law that you could turn to, and that's called the Equality Act. And then there were some other good things too, even excellent safeguarding uh, framework here for children and schools. Again, people weren't using it, but it's there. You can call on it. And um, We've got good employment protections, which lots of Americans don't have. So when somebody discriminates against you at work because of your beliefs or because of your sex or because of your sexuality... There's a law you can turn to whereas lots of americans aren't covered properly by such employment protections so i'd say that that was a big part of it know, the practice went very badly wrong in many different ways i must say under influence of americans and uh, it's not it's not a coincidence that maya forestatter's uh employer was an american think tank with headquarters in washington that had just opened a branch in london you know they thought they could act in london the way they could act in washington okay um and then they did something that was just totally not according to british law they didn't even bother looking they thought they were fine um so so yeah the laws are good i mean there's problems i'm not saying it's perfect it's just that you know you can call on employment law equality law and child safeguarding here and when you don't get satisfaction there's a uh a a way forward and in case any of your listeners don't know kira wasn't suing for money this wasn't an american style lawsuit she gets nothing out of this she was taking a judicial review. There's no, not mm. a penny she gets from that. That's her going to a public body and saying that that public body is not uh, living up to its requirements under law, as public mm. bodies are supposed to. So she was putting herself out there for no personal gain, just because she didn't want other young people to go through what she'd gone through. Mm. And that's true for most of the cases. Most of them are judicial reviews. Mm. Some of them are employment cases, and the hope is that you get back the money that you lost by being fired. But mostly it's not. It's not people who are looking for money.
2: So a judicial review theoretically um, has the power to change the way that a public institution operates. Is that kind of the point? Yeah,
0: it's it's saying that a public body isn't following the law in its practices, and you can turn to the courts and ask the courts to examine that claim.
2: Okay. And then they are supposed to revise it in some yeah. way. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah.
2: And then, Stephanie, you were saying that that has galvanized um, the American side of the conversation where people are either seeing the writing on the wall or becoming uh, empowered or encouraged uh, to stand up and to uh, speak out about this is that what you're seeing is the the effect internationally
1: I think so I think it was it was the carabell case that brought it to the public attention and then questions started to be asked and you, it I mean even in America I've you know, seen Florida health Board release um, guidance and they've looked at um, evidence they've looked at the Tavistock study they've looked at, they looked at the Keira Bell case they looked at um, and they produced um, guidance which um, goes against what Biden has has, uh, has released. Um, so even you know we, we, I, I think the, the impact. Uh, and of course, the Keira Bell case led to the NHS, the health service here in the UK, to um, change the system and also to commission the Hillary, Dr. Hilary Cass to do an independent review of the service. And because that, you know, that's NH, NHS, that's our national health service, then that review again is looking at all the evidence and whenever you find that somebody independent and objective looks at the evidence then the evidence is really clear that there that there is not enough evidence to support this uh, approach and this treatment pathway for children which would be
2: generally speaking affirmative or affirmation so, only
1: affirmation and informed consent essentially yeah which is you know nowhere else within the health service or with any other condition is that approach taken um but again we had um we had the national institute of care excellence um looking at puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones and they published two reports showing that there isn't the evidence to support it we had the care quality commission uh, review the tavistock service and find it inadequate and all of the and then cass um pub, hillary cass published the interim report of that review a few months ago, and it reinforced all, all the evidence that, that had been found. It's it's a damning report of a service that's been negligent and has really failed children and has caused harm. It's a, I mean I I know all of this. It's my <laughs> it's my subject, but even I was shocked and it's very, very carefully written report but even I was shocked reading through I kept thinking that what well, they're not doing that they they haven't been doing they haven't been getting collecting data they haven't been following these children up they haven't been doing any research they haven't been you know they haven't been um they don't have a standard uh, model of care or diagnosis they're not doing differential that I know all this <laughs> but even me reading it through very very measured tone very very um objectively written uh, but it it, it's it's really really a shocking read um and that is a game changer because that interim report and we have to wait for the final review which i think there will be some kind of final review but it but but actually the research is long term so it will be ongoing Mm -hmm. um and, I, you know, the recommendations are, you know, what basically it says is these children haven't received the same standard of care as in any other paediatric uh, service. Um, and that, that the service needs to be brought into line with the normal standards of paediatric care, which is all we've ever asked
2: for. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it?
0: Mm-hmm. It's it's so it's so clear that um, I mean the Tavistock is not unusually bad compared with clinics no. elsewhere. Yeah. I mean it's certainly not bad compared with American clinics, which are just mm. absolute cowboys.
2: Well, I, I don't even think they're mm. clinics. <laughs> that's yeah, no, they're, exactly. Oh, they're like just services. they're just handing out hormones. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's it's consumerized it's consumerized healthcare, isn't it? And so that's another reason I think that this, things are happening here is that it's an unusually centralized healthcare system with unusually strong oversight like even compared with other you know everywhere apart from america and the developed world has a better model for funding healthcare but even compared with say the scandies or germany or france or somewhere this is a cent- centralized system and it's a system where you should be able to get data on anything you like and you should be able to get complete data as well. Like every individual has an NHS number. The care at JIDS in the Tavistock is, um, it's it's entirely funded by the state. There's absolutely no reason that they shouldn't have given it on condition that they were following people up, that they were doing, you know, long-term studies, they're doing randomised control trials, whatever, you know, and, and then we would be able to look and say, Like this happened with IVF. I don't think I said this to you before when I was talking to you before, Benjamin, but a lot of the global um, understanding of IVF and that it wasn't dangerous. Because if you think about when we start doing it, like, are you going to make monster babies by trying to combine eggs and sperm outside the body and put them in? Like nobody knew what would happen. Well, it was invented here, but then it was done in the NHS. And because they controlled every single cycle of it that was done, all the early research was from here. You know, were you getting higher um, incidence of birth defects? What were the pregnancy rates? All those things done in the NHS. So it's the global place that you should look hmm. to know what outcomes are. And um, yeah, so and and also because it's not it's not restricted by money. Like there's not like it. It, it isn't. I don't mean that. I don't mean that. The no, budget restricted is but uh, run. No, what I meant was just that it's not just rich kids or something. Like, it's not just people who have insurance. It's the whole of society. And that's that's very useful, too. And then the final thing is because it is restricted by being taxpayer money, you've got taxpayer oversight. That's how you can bring a judicial review against it. Like the clinics in America, there's no accountability whatsoever until somebody sues about their own personal injury. We don't have to wait for that here. And then the, um, the NHS has its own... Um, uh, NICE, N- NICE, that um, that Stephanie mentioned, it does constantly, all the time, reviews on cost effectiveness. And they just put these out on everything. So they say, you know, that's why we don't start doing um, breast screening here until 50, because it's not worth doing it at younger than that. NICE checked. You do it younger than that in America because somebody's getting paid to do it. Okay. So, so yes, the NHS is really evidence-driven, really accountable there's been this weird clinic that's been outside the normal rules that has been doing crazy things to kids mm. but we can get at it in a way that you can't get at american clinics
2: so uh just to make my american mind wrap around this a little bit better it's held accountable but are people liable for the damage that they've caused
0: you can sue the NHS, mm. yes, but that's okay. not what's being done here. What's okay. being done here is, is saying it's not providing a public service according to standard public practice principles. Yeah. You know, it's, so
2: so why this one thing? How did this slip through the cracks?
0: Lord Stephanie, what's your theory?
1: <laughs> um, I think there was there was an awful lot of work done in the background um, and. I mean, you know, it's a it's a global movement, very well funded, very um, secretive um, that the public really didn't know about. So the policymakers were approached and talked to for years before it started sort of emerging into public life. Uh, but it, yeah, you. I mean, it, it, it's a right for me. It's arrived fully formed. Um, so when I started seeing articles about trans children, which was probably around 2012, 13, 2013, suddenly there was a new—you know—there would be a newspaper article about a five-year-old child in a school, male child who was a girl, a brave child coming out with supportive parents and teachers throwing a party for them and and trans child. It arrived fully packaged, fully formed. There was no entry point in, into it at all. It, 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 was, it, was, it was a done deal. It was all signed, sealed and delivered, which was immediately rang alarm bells. You know, why has this thing suddenly landed? It wasn't here before. So I think there was an awful lot of work done behind the scenes. I mean, we talk about ideological capture um Certainly, I think the the power of those lobby groups has been hugely, or was hugely influential within the NHS, I, I, and does continue to be so. So, Stonewall, Mermaids, Gendered Intelligence—they're your gender spectrum. With in Gendered in Intelligence,
2: US? is that seriously yes. what they're called?
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah—an oxymoron in the case. Um, so those organizations were very in fact the JIDs, the Toby Jids was very involved with mermaids right from the start. Um When did when they, was that
2: founded? The Gender Identity Development Service? Nineteen
1: eighty nine. Okay. There were like
0: three kids a year that you know, that yes, year. yeah. Okay. It was nothing. These probably were mostly just...
2: boys. Uh, males. All boys, mostly
1: that boys, year. yeah. 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 Um so really that they that mermaids became i think mermaids started off with genuinely um, good support group for parents of gender dysphoric children and then um, they became basically they became activists and uh, have a have a ceo who transitioned her own child i think you know that story and in fact in thailand
2: right is yes. Woman? Okay. On
1: his sixteenth birthday, Benjamin. Mm. Imagine getting castrated on your sixteenth birthday.
2: Sweet 16. which so
1: the yes, yeah, so the main sort of child transition advocacy group is led by the most extreme parent in the UK. Because I think most parents, even if you're fully bought into this, would would would, you know, think sixteen castration, that's not you know, I I, I so so it became that they put a lot of pressure on the Tavistock to bring down the age that that puberty blockers could be used because previously it was it was at age 16. I think the Tavistock was a service that took children who had suffered gender dysphoria in extremely rare condition from early childhood, which was the traditional model, uh, and 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 the, and and the cohort on which all our research is based really and they were they were given puberty blockers at age 16 if their gender dysphoria had persisted so it was real persistence from early childhood into puberty through adolescence to age 16 and so it was seen as a kind of last resort for those who were you know really suffering Um, and then um, the, it was mermaids that really pressured the Tavistock into doing their early intervention trial where they started giving puberty blockers to children aged 12 and then reduced the age to Tanner stage 2 of puberty, which means some 10-year-olds.
2: And they did that through advocacy um, or through research?
1: Not through research. No, through pressure and through, I think, a kind of blackmail that parents were having to go to America to get these treatments, and these treatments were available in other countries. And so it was a kind of discrimination against trans kids in this country not to offer it. And lots of, you know, heart-rending stories in the media and
0: children Mm. turning up at the clinic. I mean, I've talked to people who covered the clinic from back in the 2000s, And in the 2000s, what you saw was mostly highly, highly miserable little gender non-conforming boys, little sweethearts, you know, little what you might call effeminate boys that their mothers didn't know what to do with them. The doctor ended up um, referring them. Now, I don't think little boys like that deserve to be put on a path towards castration, but I can sort of see why they thought these little boys were little girls. And and then, but you would do it slowly. You would see if they, you know, you'd give them a chance for puberty to work its magic and teach them that they're actually just gay, you know. But then parents started to come in having already socially transitioned their children. And then it started being the teenage girls. And teenage girls know how to wrap daddy around the little finger. And they're older, they're more... Um, they're better at advocating for themselves. I mean, I mean, I, I don't mean the negative connotation of the word manipulative. I just mean they know better about how to get what they want. You know, they know what to say. They're looking online. Mm-hmm. Tumblr had gone crazy. These kids were mm-hmm. being fed absolute nonsense online and they were telling their parents they knew what to say. They were coached online to say, I'll kill myself. And, and Mermaids is there helping families like that with scripts. To go into the Tavistock and say my child will kill herself or himself you know and yeah so they just they they, they, they crumpled they crumpled under the pressure
1: but you well, know I, the, the change has been we, we used to see it as the child had gender dysphoria and that there were various possible out but possible reasons for that um, from normal childhood phase to previous sexual abuse you know it was, there was a range of um known reasons for a child to adopt a cross-sex identity and um, there were known outcomes and you know tr- becoming transsexual as an adult was the least likely outcome but it was seen as a developmental stage you know, they and um, children were seen as children first and children with gender dysphoria So it's when the language changed to say these are transgender children it became a political issue and these children are now, Politicized and used by, I mean, I've never seen uh, like a civil rights movement or a social justice movement that has targeted children and the youngest children to the extent that this one has. Yeah,
0: I mean, I've it's never it, seen
1: it, that before. It's the switch from it being a medical condition that, um, you
0: know, it's a developmental stage. And it's strange that this happened at the Tavistock too, because the Tavistock is a clinic which has notably um, relied in its adult service on talking therapy. Like people who are psychiatrists and the rest of the NHS think the Tavistock is where you go to spend 10 years talking about what your mother said to you when you were six, you know? So it's mm. most, most unexpected that hmm. this clinic in that institution went so completely off the rails. Like it, it was just operating mm. on its, I think I think part of the reason they got a, a big contract from the government to be the national service. So actually suddenly they became quite a cash cow. Okay.
1: Mm. But if you listen to Bernadette Wren, for example, the the influence of queer theory... So when was Bernadette uh, there, Stephanie? Oh, she's been there for, you know, certainly since I've known, been in contact with the clinic, so since 2015. And she's very academic and very... um, So, you know, it's... I I mean, I don't think Polly Carmichael is so academic as well, but those ideas came into the Tavistock, queer theory ideas, and I think have really taken root. And we've seen that across, you know, everywhere, across academia, across, you know, the whole of society, that the idea of queer theory, you know, queer theory ideas have come in. So sex isn't real, but gender identity is. Um, Sex is a social construct, but gender identity isn't. You know, it's... it's, um, so yeah, I, I mean, to me, it's it, it's a ridiculous theory, but it's it, you know, it's, to me, it's an ivory tower academics sort of, and you and know niche theory. But it's it makes sense to me society. because
2: watching the humanities be overtaken by critical social justice mm. and uh, yeah. critical theory, it, it's, it's, it's the soft sciences have been have folded to this. Um, Anti science um, stuff.
0: But the rest of medicine, I mean, it's going that way now, but it really hadn't as early. I, I re watched um, uh, an episode of a documentary from 2018. Stephanie will know the one I mean. It was on Channel 4. And it followed two kids, one of whom was a little boy of about eight, and the other was a girl, an autistic girl of maybe 13, mm. 12 or 13, you know the one I mean. And, you know, the parents. Both go with miserable children to a doctor. The doctor doesn't quite know what to do with this child, but knows that there's a clinic that you should refer the child to. The child gets brought there and then the things that are said to the parent and the child, they're not medicine, but the parents and the child think they're medicine. Mm-hmm. You know, they're talking about things like a gender journey and... Um, you know, you, you can see that like the, the mother of the boy is quite an unsophisticated person, very loving mother, but you're know, not somebody who put her faith in a professional. And she thinks they're telling her something meaningful and real that's like a diagnosis when they say, you know, your child is a trans girl. Like it's just a little gay boy, and sadly, he's put on the path it's, to puberty blockers. It's just tragic it's, when you watch it.
1: It's um, transgender kids who who knows best, isn't it? It's very interesting that's that the one. documentary because the Tavistock actually have that on their website. They're proud of it. It's And honestly, um, if you watch it, you're watching child abuse. You're watching the adult being the child and the child being the adult. It's so clear. There's a point where Holly Carmichael says to the eight-year-old boy, do you think you'll ever change your mind? And he says, no, because he's an eight-year-old boy. Um, and, and all of the... Decisions are handed over to this little child and the adults are all sort of, you know, letting him lead on this experimental uh, treatment that will affect his whole life. In 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 awful ways. And and they're allowing this little boy to make those decisions. And they're doing um, more than allowing, they're
0: lying to him about the decisions yes. he's making as well. They're calling him a girl at this point. He's got a mm. girl's name, they're calling this child, this mm. eight-year-old, a mm. girl. You know, this child is wearing a dress, boys can wear dresses, but that's not why this little boy is wearing a dress. And he comes in, there's this extraordinary scene where he comes in with his mum to Jids in London. And uh, he says that he he wants to have a baby when he grows up. He wants to get pregnant Mm. and to have a baby. Mm. And there's this sort of silence where neither Polly, the clinician, nor his mum say anything. And he says he's been looking online and he's found that he can do this in Sweden, but he's going to need to get um, a cesarean to get the baby out. And he clearly doesn't understand why. He's been reading something about wound transplants. Now, a grown up, a grown up who sets boundaries for a child would at that point say, sweetheart, let me stop you there and talk him through a few yeah. things and instead this flies by and um, polly says something like um well it's not quite that simple and then she says um, but it's very important to have hope and this eight-year-old boy i, I mean i cried watching it when i watched oh. it again a few mm-hmm. weeks ago. i actually cried because i watched mm. the moment when this little boy was sterilized and neutered and had his sexual function taken away from him. The moment where, the last moment where someone could have said to him, you know, the way we told you that you could be a girl. We meant that in this kind of grown up metaphorical way. He thinks they mean it. Mm-hmm. And they were happy to film
1: that. They they got the cameras in and they put it on their website. They're proud of it. And to me, it's, it's an expose. Mm, it's exactly. Dev- devastating expose. Um, you know, th- th- things that jump out from it. Why didn't Holly Carmichael, when, when the mother was saying, why is he like this? Why? Yes. Oh,
0: we, oh we don't we know.
1: Don't, we don't really know why some children are like this. Why didn't she tell him, uh, to tell her, the mother, well, the most likely outcome is that your son will, will be gay. And most children, around 80% do grow out of it, so let's hang on, let's wait. Why did she not give it, give the mother the facts that we yes. know from yes. the research and the evidence? Oh no, we just don't know why some children are transgender. See, that's I mean, what you know. happens once you put that label on a child, yes. you are either yes. transgender yeah. or you are cisgender. And that yeah. becomes the new binary. And it's no longer male female it's trans cis it, 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 so it, it changes everything it and changes calling this little boy she mm. you know
0: saying mm. she for this child this child is sitting there an eight-year-old you know looks like whatever sex you dress them as mm. so mm. it look it really looks like a little girl beautiful little girl and now you've got to ask this little girl does she feel strange about her penis you know polly asks she says something like you know how do you feel about down there is the expression Mm. I think that's used. And this Mm. poor little boy, who everybody is saying is a little girl, of course he's embarrassed to have a penis. You know, Mm. little girls don't have penises. Mm. So he says, I I don't like to look at it. I don't like to think about it. And she's like, yeah, you can see her thinking, yep, trans. (coughs) And instead, this is just a child who's been lied Mm. to Mm. by grown-ups.
2: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If If. Only in Theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news, popular or recurrent metaphor about the transing of children where we hearken back to the lobotomy or maybe even hysteria. But those previous instances of medical malfeasance or malpractice or mistaken hoodness, it comes from the doctor down. It's like some theory that is, you know, with the lobotomy, I don't know what they were thinking, but they're like, they had some sort of scientific theory and then they started to practice that. This seems like a mixture of a social force and kind of medical complicity. So the medicine's following the society, not imposing some sort of radical procedure.
0: I think you're making too big a distinction there. I don't think it's that cut and dried. I mean...
2: Well, it just, it seems differently mixed. This is like, this is uniquely mixed.
0: But I think that's because of the internet. So sometime around the 1990s, the way that people interacted with medicine and doctors changed, and it was because of the internet. Like before that, all the authority was with the doctors. And now a lot of at least I don't think doctors like it very much, but people come in telling them what they've got. Mm-hmm. So that's a total societal shift. But if you look at hysteria, I mean, that was a societal idea of what women were like. Like the doctors weren't inventing something out of nothing. They had ideas okay. about, about what women were, weak, you know. Emotional their or whatever, want, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, the lobotomies, I mean, they were done on people who were institutionalised. And the institutionalisation of people, mostly women, like that—that that was often women who had um, had sex outside marriage and got pregnant, or who'd been, you know, wild. And um, so those were people who were institutionalised for societal reasons. Like society and medicine do a dance together. Okay. And what you're seeing that has changed is just—it's it, not just as a huge thing. It's this move of medical authority away from the doctor into society, and now. But it's always a feedback loop. Like the, p- the patients are coming in already socially transitioned into um, gender clinics, which wasn't happening before. Like the, er- the early research that the, the Dutch did, none of those children were socially transitioned okay. before they came in. So now they're coming in socially transitioned. But where are they getting those ideas from? Okay, from the internet and so on, but it's given legitimacy by doctors. So the two of them are cycling around each other, feeding each other and speeding up faster and faster till we've got to this crazy point where we think a three-year-old, who's obviously a boy, could really be a girl just because he likes pink. And they're and colluding. Th- it's collusion.
2: Yeah. So the legal, I guess the legal apparatus is one way for that to be codified or at least uh, submitted to some sort of reasoning or some sort of justice. And uh, by which I mean the, the social action and then the medical action by changing the way that the nhs deals with this then society might have to adapt to that but there's a lot of social work too so there's the lawfare that can be targeted to the institutions but then there's this other thing called activism and uh, getting the word out and kind of changing the cultural shift which we've all kind of been involved at. i think we're all on this special list of um
0: i know are you on it stephanie have you seen
2: He's no there's, there's a new it's list. A, it's oh, a, there's a new,
0: new list. list. A list of, a list of you know, it's it's not kind. terribly
2: elitist cuz there's like 5000 entries but I still I made it like they they're, they're going to try to cancel me for being a trans It's it's like people
0: that. trying to get trying, trying to get people off Twitter or Reddit. It's a, it's an American list of activists mm. put together and it was leaked today and I'm sure you're on it. I didn't bother looking any further than checking I was on it just in case I wasn't.
2: <laughs> S- Stephanie, you've been in the process of f- focusing on the lawfare side and and getting the information out and Helen, you've been doing that too but I guess there's also just in inter- Interacting with society, interacting with, you know, the culture at large. And I guess, can we summarize where we are at that? Um, it's really it's, difficult to see where we are. Is it going to change? Because they went after JK Rowling? No. You know, like, like, there's always like, is this the time they're going to change? But
0: no, I'll tell you where the crucial battleground is. And Stephanie's the person who knows most about that. And that's schools. And the reason is because that's mm-hmm. where the millions and millions of new little trans people and people who believe in all of this stuff are appearing from. So I think if you if you crack the schools, you crack the whole thing. Do you agree with that, Stephanie?
1: Yeah, it's why I've always worked on schools because this is where children are taught that they have a gender identity and everything that that we saw going on on the internet or the in, indoctrination across the internet is now in schools so what children are learning on TikTok? tock who used to be tumblr now it's TikTok. i think and discord and youtube is being re- reinforced and taught to them as fact in schools so the school's guidance the resources that come in under diversity and inclusion or anti-bullying and they're all um uh, um promoting this idea of, of gender identity and so children are being indoctrinated in schools into this new religion, this new faith, because it has no scientific backing. Um, so that that area, and, and what's happening in the UK at the moment is that the Department for Education is working on and will produce national schools guidance on this issue. And it's uh, very, um, yeah, we've got, high hopes of what they will produce and that this will be guidance on issues like single sex spaces but also we're pushing for guidance on how to treat <clears throat> and, uh, the child who identifies as transgender because at the moment what's happening and this, this is so common across schools across the UK that children are being transitioned in schools behind the parents' backs this is the biggest, biggest issue that parents don't know that you know their daughter Jenny is being treated as John in school and uh, treated in all respects as a boy. And this is the guidance that the lobby groups have have sent into schools, and schools seem to think that they that this is the law that they have to do it. Now, the what we're what we're sort of pushing for is that the Department for Education works with the Department. Of health on this particular issue because teachers are not qualified to socially transition the child which is a really serious psychological intervention into that child's development and they're simply not qualified to do it so you know we're we're, we've got high hopes or you know hoping that, that, that that some really sensible guidance will be produced by the department for education on this
0: so the other thing you can see in schools is it's like a microcosm of the way that transition works, which is both a supply and demand question. Hmm. So the supply is the ideology, like it it creates a desire in people's heads. And the demand is like, the maybe I've got them the wrong way around. But it's it's got two sides to it, is what I'm trying to say. So you've got somebody who gets an idea from somewhere, whether that's TikTok or it used to be Tumblr or it's in their classes. And that idea is that there is this thing, gender identity, and they're told to think about themselves and ask themselves, how do I feel and what am I? And am I Demi boy? Am I fluid? Am I watching Mm. it? A a thought that just would not have occurred to anyone 20 years ago. You just wouldn't Mm. have bothered. You'd have got on with it and been whatever sort of boy or girl you were. But then you see that thought is no use if you're then not accommodated in that identity. So if you imagine a child comes into school and says, um, so the analogy that the, uh, the campaigners use, use is that you wouldn't tell parents if a child was gay necessarily. Now, I mean, I have a gay child and it's correct that the school didn't tell me that he was gay because why the hell would they? Like what's to know? but there's nothing I have to do about it. I know anyway, they know, I know. So, but even apart from that, there's nothing actually happening because he's gay. That's not the same as when a child says that they're trans. What they mean is, let me wear the other uniform. Call me what I'm not. Force all the other children and teachers to call me what I'm not. Let me go into the wrong toilets. Let me go into the wrong changing room. Let me play sport on the other team. They want a bunch of accommodations. And if you just said, you know, it's completely fine that you're, um, you know, your gender-questioning, that's fine, we'll find another toilet for you to use if you're embarrassed using the toilets of your own sex, but we're not changing your name, we're not forcing anyone else to call you what you're not, we're certainly not letting you use the facilities for the opposite sex because that's an intrusion on other children. You wouldn't do it. It's not something you can do on your own, being trans, yeah. it's not yeah. up here, it requires everybody else to do something, that's quite unlike being gay. So that's, I think, the big difference. And and a school is a microcosm of society. It's a closed situation and it's got strict rules, or it should do anyway, about child safeguarding that all the society doesn't have. So there's the hope of saying in a school how you deal with this declaration. You don't deal with it by forcing everybody else to say and do things that are false and that endanger Mm -hmm. other people. And then you take away the the whole reason for transitioning. Because what's the point in saying that you're a trans boy if you can't go and do the boys' things? What's this you know, you're a trans girl and you're not you still have to accept that people call you a boy. So that's why schools are so important.
2: Okay. Because it legitimizes all, but, and codifies everybody. Every that, but, everybody has to do it. So every, there's just no point
0: otherwise. That's what being trans means. It means forcing
1: everybody else to pretend you are what you're not. And there's also the fact that that if you do um confirm that child's self-identity and reinforce it and concretize it, then that I are, are you encouraging that child then to take the next steps of medical yes. transition. And um, that's the issue and that's I think that's the biggest issue for parents, that you are, you know, you you don't have the right to reinforce this belief of my child that could lead to mm. irreversible medical damage, you know, yeah. life-changing medical treatment. So, so parent, it's, bringing, it's you know, bringing the
2: child to the cliff, and and it's not re, it's still it, reversible, it's, but it, it, they're right next them. to the cliff to do something it's that they can't take
1: It's certainly helping them along that path, yeah. and that's not an inevitable path. But it, but you certainly strengthen the the likelihood that the child will continue onto that path if you're affirming them and 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 affirming that belief. And let's remember that belief is my body is wrong. I was born the wrong sex. Is body hatred body disassociation, disgust with myself, self-hatred. I mean, this is what you're affirming when you affirm... But we use the word transgender, and that covers all... Oh, it's that's lovely. That's affirming somebody's identity. It's affirming the self-hatred mm. and self, self-rejection. self
2: mm-hmm, You know, right.
1: it, 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 it's it's not a kind thing to do. It's, it's not something that we would we do in any other area. But then in any other area, we haven't got this label... To put on just to, to say well this is a transgender child and has, tra- has trans rights and this is a political group um uh, we, we don't do that with any other medical or clinical or psychological condition i'll tell you something else i've noticed i've been thinking about a lot recently
0: about the whole trans child thing if you're a parent whose child says to you i'm trans i you know and i mean there's a whole conversation that goes there on there for a while and it it, it, but the thing is, it, it goes one of two ways. It can't go in the middle. It, at some point there's a fork in the road and the family has to take one road or the other. And one road is quite scary um, because the activists are telling you that your child will kill themselves and all that sort of thing. But once you take the other path, you are now the world's most convicted, convinced um, activist because you've just done something to your child that you're now going to spend the rest of your life attempting to reinforce that was correct. And I think that every adult who takes that choice, and I'm very, I am very, have great sympathy with them, this is a very hard thing to do when a child is telling you that they're so distressed that they're mm. going to kill themselves, you know what they're seeing online, you know what the activists are saying, you know that they're getting affirmed by their friends and so on. But you make this decision and now that has to be the right decision. Yeah. And so there are individual people who have made that decision who are high up in the media, in politics, in the law. There are judges whose children have made this decision and so on. Every one of those is an activist of a type we have literally never seen in history. Mm. Mm. They are more committed to their cause than the great civil rights heroes, than the suffragettes, because they have put their child on a path that must be right
1: mm. and
0: they're going to spend the rest of their life trying to make sure it was right. And that means silencing people like me and Stephanie. Mm-hmm. It means trying to get us fired. It means, you know, trying to fundraise to take down, um, you know, the curabell ruling, that sort of thing. And also that it, it percolates out into a whole organization because if there's one person in an organization who is known to have a trans child, the whole organization is scared to talk about it. So I'm, I'm learning that this is happening in a lot of newsrooms. That there's one journalist who has a trans child, and now the whole newsroom can't cover this topic properly. The whole newspaper, the whole TV station, the whole radio station, total silence, because they don't want to upset this one person. And so, therefore, on it goes.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm. There's a lot there. I mean... Which brings up a really interesting um, question that I ask a lot of the women that I've interviewed about this. Because when you see the change in language happening with uh, birthing person, menstruator, and beginning to disassociate the female body from the concept of woman uh, and all the richness and complexity and difficulty of that concept, um, it's a lot of women driving this. It, it it it's at once misogynistic, but at the same time, it's women who are driving this, these female run organizations um, and these mothers of trans children. so it's it, it's a real mix. There's something about the trans idea, the trans kid that captures the imagination and the heart there
0: is there really of, is
2: of mothers and and women. Um,
0: well you it's the, you have to make this decision. And as a mother, there's a moment, I think, when you break, maybe, and you think, I I can't do this anymore. I can't have my child suffer. I can't keep saying to my child they're wrong. I have to go along with it. And then you're all in. And now you're the tiger mother standing up for your
1: kid. And I think, you know, historically, mothers are blamed for, for what goes, you know, problems with children. And in this area, I think it's the same as any other area. You know, parents want a diagnosis. They want certainty. And they want the diagnosis because then it's not their fault. Yes. And and, you, and I think that's stronger in mothers, you know, partly because the connection is, is stronger, uh, but also because mothers are the ones that get blamed. And so you say, oh, my child is a trans child. It wasn't my fault. This distress I did not cause. And that's a huge relief, and you've got certainty, and then you cling on to that, that certainty, and everybody's reassured and happier.
2: Yeah. So the, there's a added difficulty on the societal level of um, individual uh, adults, parents, having to take uh, responsibility uh, for imposing this fiction insofar as it is a fiction of the trans kid on their child. And, and it's one thing for an adult To do that themselves and then the parents accept that or work at accepting that or embrace that. That's one thing. But when we come to children, it's the parent who is actually doing this to the child. And so in, in a social force, like to confront parents with this, like it can't be a fiction because that would be terrible. To actually have to take responsibility for,
0: and and more than that, they've made a promise to their child that this is the right thing to do. So suppose you've got a kid, like a common one, is to transition between primary and secondary school, um, like when you move school, when you move to high school. Okay. Yeah. So you leave behind the boy and you turn up as a girl, or vice versa, right? And a parent, you know, a parent may be doing this with absolutely the best intentions, and told by clinicians or whatever they've read online that this is reversible. This is just a social transition, but we know that that leads like an escalator that you've stepped onto to other things. But the thing is, that is a promise that requires society to deliver. You've told your child it's possible to change sex in some sense, like maybe gender, whatever. The whole of society has to play along. Otherwise, you have screwed your child over royally. You've said to them, you can turn up and they'll accept you as a boy. What if they don't? What if four years down the line, some absolute itches in England managed to get the law upheld (laughs) and <laughs> we go back to having single-sex spaces that mean single-sex spaces. The parents who transitioned their children six, you know, four years ago, what the hell are they to say to their daughter, who they told four years ago that she can be presented as a son? And now she can't. They have to fight against us. They have to try to make it so that the world is what they promised their child the world would be.
2: Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and... What do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.
1: And so, yeah, they're, they're very fondant enemies. enemies. Yeah, but, and there's another level to that. The, the, the fact that, I mean, children, and I include Teenagers, adolescents, in that really do believe that they can make this change; that they can change. They can, yes. from a girl, grow up to be a man, or a boy grow up to be a woman. And um, if you listen to the stories of the transitioners, I know you've done about thirty-five interviews, haven't you, Benjamin, with detransitioners? And I was just hearing a story today about a a, a man, and there seem to be more men. Detransitioning now and speaking out, um, and you know who, who's in his twenties, uh, without a penis, and has the rest of his life to live. And you think, and when when you hear the stories of how these constructed genitalia don't work, and uh, you know vaginal atrophy, painful sex, no sexual res- uh, 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 response. You know, the sort of, for women, the hysterectomy, the euphorectomy, down the line, none of this, none of, you know, this is real, this is real Um, life.
2: And even, and you have to expand it because missing your genitals doesn't mean that you just don't have genitals. Your entire body is integrated Mm. to be a Mm. sexually reproducting Mm. uh, Mm. organism. So the loss of orgasm, we're like, well, okay, sucks to be you. But like, there's all these other things that are going on uh, that the, the... endocrine system relies on itself and has evolved Mm -hmm. to have this thing so the the impact of that is tremendous and and long-reaching and I, And
1: i think you know children and adolescents don't have anything and this is not about maturity it's about life stage and life experience they don't have anything other than a really quite superficial idea of what it is to be an adult man or an adult woman. And superficially they may be able to operate in the world where people maybe they pass and people accept them as a man or a woman. When you get to fertility, um, giving birth, um sex, long-term relationships, that is when reality hits. And those are critical, so important for our for our lives, for our happiness, um, for most people they are searching for a lifetime partner, do want to have children someday. So all all the issues where it's not just about appearance, superficial appearance, it's about real biology. Fail, completely fail. And those are the important things. So that you know no child can have any idea about what the reality is of living as Hmm. A transsexual in the world.
2: That brings to mind uh, another kind of hot button issue of, uh, and I don't know to what extent it's inflated or overlooked, but uh, let's just say men identifying as lesbians and then going on to women's. Uh, dating sites, you know, uh, or lesbian dating sites or apps or whatever. Um, and the expectation for society to fulfill everybody's needs. Like there was a slippage from a right to uh, an accommodation and uh, from an accommodation to uh, a service. So everybody has to participate in it on every level. And if we even step away from men being men on a, uh, just on the statistical level, and trying to hook up with women because that's what men will do—they'll game the system to do that. If we back away from the sexual thing, there's still mm-hmm. the process of needing in, uh, intimacy, of growing as a human being in a in a relationship, and then everything uh, about you know having a child in that entire relationship. Society, by playing along with the trans kid, is creating this huge void that it cannot fulfill.
0: exactly in in, in the lives of
2: these people
0: Mm. well it's making a promise that it doesn't realize it's making so i don't know if you've seen i've started writing my own newsletter i've only done three issues of it now but the latest one i talk about um preferred pronouns and even people who understand that there's something serious happening here and that there's something serious happening in gender clinics and you know all Mm. of that stuff they think the preferred pronouns is just a nice accommodation it's just politeness But once you say that a man is a woman, she, her, it becomes very hard to argue that that man shouldn't use woman's spaces, isn't a lesbian if he's sexually attracted towards women, any of those things. You've given away the farm before you even start the negotiation. You didn't know there was even a negotiation here. You just Mm -hmm. thought you were being polite but it's over and now you've got to claw things back. And it's like that when a child says, I'd be very much happier, you know, I feel like I'm really a boy, I feel like I'm really a girl. And for whatever reason, whether it's society at large or because the parents look up for flawed research or because a clinician tells them or whatever, the family make this step thinking, thinking that they're just accommodating something, that they're just helping in that instant. And they don't realise they've given away the farm at that moment. And they don't think through all the things that that's going to mean. Like, if this female body is a man, Mm -hmm. it's going to be a man without a functioning penis. It's going to be a man without, you know, who's going to be reliant on testosterone. It's going to be a man who's small and weak, a man who can't impregnate anybody. Like, you don't think these things through. And, you know, it's squeamishness about kids and sex, too. I mean, I don't want to say the phrase kids and sex, but what I mean is you're looking at a 10-year-old, you're putting them on puberty blockers, you're foreclosing them having a good sex life in the future, but you feel squeamish thinking about that when you look at a cute little 10-year-old. So it's easier to just kind of not talk about it or to say that it's not appropriate at this age to talk about it. It's not. That's why you don't sterilise them. It's Mm -hmm. not appropriate. They're too young to make that choice. That's why it's not appropriate to talk about it. But, yeah, you think you're making an accommodation... And you realize that
1: everything has gone.
2: Yeah, you're, you're shaping the possibility that are yes. available to that human being, like the the entire potential of the yeah. human being.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Lifetime, lifetime. Yeah. I really liked listening to um, you you, you sitting
0: quietly and letting Carol Hooven interview Helena Kirshner. As you know, I messaged Ben afterwards, Stephanie, to say there's hardly any interviewers who are as good as him because he just shuts up when people are saying good stuff. (laughs) You know, other people wouldn't do that. If I were an interviewer, I would have been interrupting the whole time and ruining it. But I was completely fascinated by Carol's explanation of why Helena's voice hadn't dropped so much. And, I mean, basically what it is, Stephanie, is that when a teenage boy... His, his vocal, his um, his windpipe widens, his um, Adam's apple drops, and his vocal cords thicken. But when a girl takes testosterone when she's older, all that can happen is the vocal cords thicken. The other two things can't happen. So you just get left with this kind of froggy, sort of slightly thick sounding voice that's not like a man's voice. And I was telling friends about this yesterday, and I was saying, do you know what? It's sex. Sex is everywhere in your body. It's a sexed body. You can't mess around like this. You can't just give a woman hormones and pretend that she's a man. Every bloody bit of her is a woman. Mm.
2: This might be a shallow point, and I don't know why I'm bringing it up, but um, when we say about accommodations, because entering into this conversation, as we all have, we have made connections with other people, and some of those people happen to have transitioned or identify as a, you know, they say I'm a biological male, but I am a female. Do you accommodate that? Some some uh, some ideological uh, some some people's view on this uh, entire debate is that a man will always have the he pronoun. Um, and I kind of try to be polite. It's just, it's an interesting thing. I know it's kind of shallow because there is that slippage. So trying to respect somebody like Corinna Cohen or Blair White or Buck Angel, who are not trying to force uh, me to do anything other than just try to understand them and respect them for their being, I can accommodate that linguistic term, even though my brain's always kind of like, okay, I'll do that one extra for you. Um, so I am just wondering if... if I know that's the shallowest part of this debate I,
0: I think I come down the same place as you basically
1: I think it's well, I think it's a critical part of, <clears throat> of this debate actually that causes real um problems because as you say there are some I think, you know you kind of want to be polite to the ones who don't demand it <laughs> you know and um, you don't want to hurt people's feelings i i I get round it by trying not to use pronouns at all because I feel no matter how, you know, whether somebody's not demanding it of me, it's grammar. <laughs> it's, you know, I'm a pedantic, really. I, I, I refuse it to me. It, any if, if, I'm, if I use the wrong pronoun, I am professing a belief in an ideology that I don't believe in, so I try and get around it by by not using pronouns at all. You don't normally need to use someone's pronouns in their no. presence anyway. No, no, it, it's it's not hard to do actually. And I, you know, I, I I have respect for people who who have gone down that route, and you know, it works works for them. I, as long as my rights aren't um, violated by by that, mm. then you know, I'm I'm perfectly happy people to live in the way that they want to and the way they choose yeah. including medical treatment
2: um and so well, it, you've bo- you've really concentrated on and this whole conversation is concentrating on children which is yeah. kind of a different topic it's mm-hmm. a different field so and, and it's interesting that the trans rights advocates who are a lot of adults are so keen on the children thing it's like
0: it's because um, it's because then it's not really different i mean If you if you're an adult and you say something very reality-based, like, you know, I'm a really unusual man, I just don't fit in with men, I just I'm sure I'd be much happier if I moved around the world with people thinking I was a woman. People like why, (laughs) you know. And the why does come down to sex. Like either you're gay. And you've just always been one of those hyper effeminate people. I'm talking about that direction transition, right? Mm. Or you have this autogynophilia sort of situation that um, that Blanchard talks about. Now, I know that there are kids in their teens now who are getting a very um, internet mo- um, moderated or modulated transition. So just setting that aside for the moment, I'm talking about the older people who've transitioned. It's about sex. But that's very hard to say to people. Like Blanchard said something to me when I interviewed mm. him for my book, Um He said, it's so much easier to go into work and say, um, I'm ready to admit that I've always been a woman inside than to go into work and say, um, I've been masturbating in women's clothes since I was a teenager and it's time to wear them all the time. Like, that's just not going to fly. So you've got to distance the sex from it. And that's why this word transsexual got dropped as well. The sex is in there. You can't say transsexual child. Like, straight away, you're clearly a creep. Mm. So transgender, this gender thing, that's nothing to do with sex. They even say it's nothing to do with sex, and that's bullshit. Most women are feminine. Most men are masculine. The people who are the opposite are mostly gay. So obviously there's a connection. Obviously people vary, but there is a connection between gender performance and sex. So it's a lie, straight up. Even apart from this idiotic idea of gender identity, it's a lie but now you've got something you can say is separate from sex. And now you can say that children have it. Now it's really separate from sex. It's just okay. something innate. So the children are a, um, they're a necessary sacrifice. You
2: know, to it's not separate. For... Yes. Okay. okay.
0: It's not nice, is it? it
2: yeah. No, it, it's fraught. <laughs> that, that's one thing is fraught. And, um, one emerging uh dialogue so i we brought up the detrans interviews that i've done and it's taken a long time to find the males and to bring them out and the males have a different set of issues it's really interesting because it does come back down to sex again there was a uh, detrans awareness day uh Symphony, uh, no it's a symposium put on by uh, Stella O'Malley and Jenspect and there was just a bunch of detransitioners transitioners telling their stories. And the women had one set of issues, well, more or less, you know, like but there were kind of women's issues. And the boys had other issues. And you could already sense the tension, and like we can't, they can't actually help each other. Like the men actually need their own space, and yeah. and it's the like men, gay, it's,
0: it's like gays and lesbians, Benjamin. They've very little in common.
2: They they don't belong on a flag together without some, well, I mean, some think, blows coming.
0: You know, gay men get beaten up in the street. They get HIV. You know, they get harassed as little boys by homophobic dads and so on. Lesbians have a totally separate set of issues.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know,
0: they just they they actually just men and women are different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of what we're saying it's here profound.
2: yeah so i'm just i'm i'm looking at the field the um the activism field and seeing how it was populated at the beginning by a lot of uh you know st- staunch feminists or women basically as adult women and there's really interesting psychology about that um one of my guests pardon me if you're you're one of the guests, but one of my guests said that women were standing up to this because they've lived in their bodies. They've given birth and they have such a direct connection to the reality of sex and even taking away the, the social realities and your perception on those. It's just there's such an embodied to to the woman's process of life, of development and of giving birth and stuff. So that's why they have a key into this um, Going, uh, fighting against the transgender ideology and calling it not real because they, from their own lived experience and all the things that they have to do in reality with their bodies, it drives it. But because the the conversation was populated by women, there's not a lot of space for the men, for the detrans men, and for men's groups to form around uh, regulating uh, autogynephilia, not regulating it, but just speaking about it and figuring out uh, if somebody has that really strongly. Then how do we we sp- speak about that? And there's in inherent. Um Tension between an uh, autogynophile speaking with a feminist. Like, there's no way that those two people are going to, like, actually... It's going to be very difficult for them to actually have a productive conversation. Um, so I'm just wondering... Because I know that both of you are not really ideologically motivated. You're I mean, you're both very fact-based. It's not like you guys have a specifically feminist agenda, even though I know that you guys have opinions on that matter. That's not why you're in this fight. It's not motivating you. So you're kind of... Um, your noses are clean on that you kind of more objective because you're dealing with the science you're dealing with the story you're dealing with the history and that so i'm just kind of throwing all out there to see where's the field now how uh not the field but what what are the emerging um needs that need to be met or the conversations that need to be had um as this uh, conversation keeps on going in the cultural sphere? Like we've hit on, this is what's going on in law, this is what's going on in schools, this is what's going on in culture at large, but with regards to detransitioners and the movement that's pushing back at it, what are some of the weak points, what are some of the needs that you guys see?
1: I think the the biggest thing that's going on in the UK is the um, conversion therapy bill. So this is another. We're back to legislation, sorry, but we're, no, that's this fine. is this is really uh, key, and this is one of the uh, you know it's one of the key campaign aims, and 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 it it it's, it's no accident that all over the world suddenly conversion therapy bills are going through, which include gender identity or transgender. Um, and why is this? Because actually. But you know i think in most countries the certainly the physical co- conversion therapy laws exist already to protect people um from and, from and, being
2: their from their sexuality being changed Yes. like that's yeah, the original I, version of yeah. it
1: yeah and uh, and so laws do exist to protect but but also you know we we don't see now that that those really cruel practices that we saw back in the seventies or even the nineties they they, they, they you know, they don't happen anymore, really, or uh, well, the evidence is very shaky on that. But um, but they've all added, added gender identity. So the move is, and I think, to establish in, in law, in some piece of legislation, the idea of the transgender child. Um, and also to it, it, essentially the other campaign, the trans women are women. When you're talking about con- conversion therapy with transgender people is saying uh, a, a, a trans woman is actually a man is that a, a, a form of conversion therapy so all of their sort of campaign aims are wrapped up in this uh, one um one piece of legislation conversion therapy so of course here what has happened is that the government have said well we'll, we'll go forward with the bill but not with transgender in it, we're going to take more time to look at that. And the reason they've done that is because of the CAS interim report. They've obviously been reading that. And and also they've taken into account all of the concerns of therapists, clinicians, parents, and everybody who who responded, I think, to the consultation that um, this could cause problems with treating children with gender dysphoria, We're already the affirmation approach is established and clinicians daren't treat these children because they're already afraid of being accused of conversion therapy if a child desists. so that is 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 absolutely key that's going on in in the uk at the moment and the so the issue is actually being able to um, show people this isn't you know because you again you're called somebody who is pro-conversion therapy if you don't agree with the whole bill and no nobody's looking at you but is there a difference between gender identity and sexual orientation again it's a way of introducing legislation that is hanging on the coattails of something that everybody agrees with yes gay conversion therapy is bad you know uh, so, it, it, well, and what's interesting here, I, I find this this fascinating. If you look at the the messages that the um, in the conversion therapy, they're saying no no adult. They're trying to you know the activists are trying to close what what little loopholes there may be in it by saying adults, no adult really ha- has the agency to agree to conversion therapy. There cannot be left a loophole saying that it's okay if somebody's asking for it. No, no adult has the agency to be able to make that decision because it's inherently torture. And yet at the same time, the same activists are saying a child has the agency to agree to puberty blockers that will have life-changing effects.
2: So uh, do, um, am I reading you correctly that, that an adult who's seeking um, therapy for their gender dysphoria or maybe even their autogynephilia has no recourse to get therapy for that?
0: It's or? mostly about it, religion, Ben. It's about um, mm. people who would want, you to, would want to pray with their evangelical pastor or something like that. You know, if you okay. were an adult, you could, you could consent to that. You could say, you know, my belief is that I'll go to hell if I don't sort out the fact that I'm gay. Now, you mm-hmm. and I and Stephanie know they're not going to sort out the fact they're gay. But I mean, the fact is, they're an adult and they're only praying. So, and and this, bill and they're trying are, to...
2: They're saying that you can't even do that. The adult exactly. can't choose that. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Mm.
2: The adult must accept themselves, and the child uh, can assert themselves.
1: The child has agency and autonomy,
2: okay. yeah. and the adult
1: doesn't. Uh, 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 and the adult doesn't. No.
2: That's so just, a, chi- yeah. a,
1: chi- a, a child
0: can get sterilised, and an adult can't decide what to pray about with somebody.
1: Mm. Mm. That's what we're saying.
2: And are you guys aware of why Canada would go as far as it has? Because it's kind of like it's more well, it's kind of like us, kind of like you. It's this kind of weird. It's it's,
0: it's like Democratic America without Republican America.
2: Okay, there's no pushback.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, to me, it seems extremely simple. You know, they've just they've just got a bunch of crazy Democratic Americans with no crazy Republican Americans occasionally telling them something (laughs) different. Mm.
2: Yeah, I, can't say, boy, I, but.
0: I don't like I don't like your politics at all, but I mean, you know, at least you've got some sort of tension there. Yeah. I, I think a big development, if I, if I were to pick a big development coming up, and I think okay. you're going to see it in the States, too, is very much about parents pushing back about all of this. I think parents have no idea most of mm. them what's going on in schools. I mean, Stephanie said, like, it's a horror show, which it is, that there are teachers transitioning kids here without their parents' knowledge, as you know. Loads of American schools are mandated to do that. Loads of states say that's what you must do. Mm. And I think when parents realise that their children are being lied to and told that you can change sex and that sex isn't real and they're being told that from age six and that children are being transitioned at school and they're being sent to, you know, therapists who will give them hormones without their parents' consent and their teachers are providing them with dress-up clothes in school and binding their breasts and all of these things. When people actually wake up to that, it is going to be a political tsunami. It's Mm. going to sweep away everything.
2: Well, I'm and, really and, glad and it, that the Democratic president has taken a very neutral stance on this and not decided. On, uh, it, it,
1: it's going to be the worst in the states, isn't it? Because I mean, we're we're always accused of being on the religious right, which is ridiculous. Because the movement in the UK really comes from the left, women on the left. But in 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 this, you know, but when when the religious right in the states, like they're, they're they're a powerful group, aren't yes. they? I mean, it's going to explode because that, yeah, this is because, going to be
2: horrendous. Yeah, yeah. I really don't understand why. Uh, I was being sarcastic about Biden buying this no, particular farm. I don't <laughs> yeah, know we, why we. they've done it. And uh, Saki, uh, his press secretary. So I was, I was speaking with uh, one of your cohort. Uh, brilliant denise of fourth wave now about Um, this was so good uh, about why why would they go all in i'm like well either they they have no worries about the election or they are completely blind to the reality of either they're completely bought into this transgender ideology we're going to protect trans kids whatever that means or they they don't expect any sort of blowback or any blowback they can already figure out somehow through shady dealings but when i, I saw I, I, that I, video of Seiki, saki she was actually crying it's this really yeah. weird kind of mixture of performative and actual emotion about protecting mm-hmm. the children so she was mm-hmm. dredging up her motherhood you know powers but mm-hmm. at the same time you could kind of see there's a cognitive dissonance in the administration they've really bought into this for whatever reason maybe biden's trying to make trans kids the you know gay marriage Courage, you know, to, yeah. to one-up Obama. I don't know, but...
0: I, I think you're leaving out the power of, you know, epistemic bubbles. Like, you, you know, when you, when you especially in something that's as reality deny, deny as this. So when you've got, um, when you're in an epistemic bubble, I only realized this recently, it's not just that you're not hearing alternative views. It's that you're getting more and more extreme, because there's nothing, there's no no external mm. input there's no self-correction in it you know you just don't well they, they completely... cast out
2: any critic they cast out yeah. anybody. but uh, but it's
0: not the, just that you stay there all happy in your own little bubble the bubble goes completely mad and in this bubble in particular it's so reality denying like if you say if you say that we aren't even sexed bodies which i think is what you were referring to i think either stephanie or i could have been the people who said it to you and we certainly would agree you know both of us have grown babies inside of ourselves and that teaches you something about us not being machines <laughs> Um, But when you've denied that entirely and you've acted as if people are just, you know, floating gender identities attached to, I don't know, some sort of robot, you haven't even just got the anchor of the physical biological reality of bodies to keep you tethered. Mm. So who knows where you could go? You could go into any sort of wild headspace. And you're not hearing anything from outside because you've just written it off as being, you know, the Heritage Foundation or
2: mm-hmm.
0: QAnon or something like that. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they go even much madder than they have already.
2: Oh, really? Okay.
0: Yeah, and but the same on the other side. That QAnon, that, that explains QAnon yeah. and, um, you know, all that conspiracy theory. They've gone clinically insane because they're hearing nothing from outside their mad bubble that's got nothing to do with reality and it's just spiraling into insanity further. Mm. And, so you've
1: once got two you, <clears throat> and once you enter, then you have an investment, and then you yes. have your narrative, and then you have your identity, and all, it, it, it all builds up, doesn't it? And I think there's, you know, to me, I, 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 I watch people speak, and I think you, you genuinely believe this, but you're, you, I, I think at, at heart, you know it can't be true. And so you're even more strongly. Um, attached to it, and, yes, it's a special it, sort of it's belief. It's a very, very, very strong faith, and that's why it books no evidence. I mean, faith doesn't need evidence, and this is why it's so dangerous within the healthcare system, which should be based on evidence only. It, if it's based on faith then, of course, the double stock doesn't need to collect data. Of course, the double stock doesn't need Do you know, Stephanie, it's, it's more than that.
0: They shouldn't collect evidence. If they collect mm. evidence, it's like trying to, trying to test yes. your God. Mm. My God, it's even mm. worse. Mm.
1: Mm.
0: I never thought of that. Evidence is going... Evidence actually is a sin.
1: Evidence is showing the, you don't have faith. It, yes, yes. And then, of course, with that faith and 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 lack of need for evidence becomes arrogance and you know that that absolutely unshakable belief that you're right and then from that comes the condemnation of everybody else who doesn't agree with you i mean it it, it, it's Mm it's the building yeah yeah yeah
2: yeah yeah. that might be why they're opener, a lot of the opener is uh, you're invalidating my existence. They have to go to the absolute extreme to begin with, Mm. um, which is just weird, like this weird ontology that they have, this faith that can be expressed um, through a pronoun.
0: A lot of religions and cults, it's the same as like very cultish religions. I mean, it's the same as being inducted into like a South American or a Japanese gang. You must do something that's undoable. You have to tattoo your face or cut off your little Mm. finger or something because then you can't get back out. And the same that they do with the child soldiers sometimes in African wars, they make the child kill people, Mm. often their own family, Mm. because once you've done that, you can never leave. There's no way back. And so if you are one of the people who has promoted this and we're right, Stephanie and I are right. You have committed a horrendous, unforgivable crime against children. There's no way back. There's no way that you can turn around Mm. and say you know i put this into legislation children were sterilized they're going to have to live the rest of their lives in bodies that were harmed in ways they shouldn't have been because i refused to look for evidence they're all in Mm. they have to fight till the last drop of Mm. blood
1: Mm. and i think we we knew didn't we that that it would get more vicious as uh, gains were made on our side yes that would be strong I think we were prepared for that.
2: How have you, uh, both, either of you, both of you, adapted to the cultural uh, blowback? What has this taught you about your, your own character?
1: Oh, you, what have you learned, Stephanie? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there have been many times along the way where I think, why am I doing this? This is just, you know, and I think when it comes down to it, in the end, always... One, I have to be able to look at myself in the mirror. And if I wasn't, I know what's happening. You know, the the tragedy for me was that I saw it. (laughs) Um, And having seen it, um, there there was no way I could not do something about it. And if, and I always think when I feel at my worst, that if I wasn't doing anything about it, I would feel worse. So that's that's what I've learned I, and I, I I think I didn't I didn't know I, 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 I guess I didn't know this about myself really before going into it I don't know whether I would just you know from somebody from another planet looking thinking would I have done that you know you look at situations don't you in in the world and think would I be one of the people that did that or not? I don't know what I would have said.
0: Yeah, I don't think you could know. You you can't know. I mean, I can't predict. I can't predict at all what people are going to say about this. And in some ways, that's quite invigorating because I think I lived in quite an intellectual silo myself. I mean, I worked on a publication, great publication, that has you know, strong and consistent set of beliefs and, you know, if, if you don't fit in reasonably well with those beliefs, it's not going to work mm. for you working there. Mm. And I was very happy there and, you know, I'm on I'm on leave of absence, as I think you know from there and, you know, they've asked me to come back next year and so there's no unhappiness or tension there. But oh man, pretty... the
2: economy is going to be so screwed, you're going to have so much to write about. I, I'm <laughs> not
0: one of the economists though, I always okay. write about social issues <laughs> and politics, but yeah, so yeah, so I think, but, you know, everyone I knew was against Brexit, everyone I knew regarded themselves as basically liberal. Most people I knew were either not religious or very quiet about their religion. Mm. You know, now I know people who are so much more varied, but also Mm. this issue cross cuts. Mm. There are people who, you know, there's people who are in this because of their evangelical Christian belief. They believe, you know, Mm. male and female, he created them. There's other people who are in it because of a particular child or there's people who are in it for free speech or there's people who are in it for individual rights or parents rights or you know because they're you know they're doctors who believe in evidence like you just you can't predict which people are going to fall which way on it and you also can't mm-hmm. say oh well if someone agrees with me on this they agree with me on everything else they absolutely don't loads of them are brexiteers or you know very traditionalist about families or something So that isn't something I learned about myself, but it's something I learned about the world. I suppose the Mm. thing I learned about myself was how siloed I was six years Mm. ago. Mm. I literally knew not one person personally who was going to vote for Brexit, not one. And then half the country went and did it. So, you know.
2: (laughs) Yeah. That that was a particular uh, wake-up call for you guys.
1: Yeah, I really like this. I really like Mm. the fact that there's people from every political persuasion, some religious, some not, some... Um, I, I think it's linked people across divides, and we're very divided now, I think, in lots, lots of ways, um, and, and, and it's linked up people that wouldn't necessarily have got together, and it's increased understanding and comradeship between yes. people. I really like that.
0: Yes, I know. I mean, I, well, one of our, our friends, one of our dear friends um, you know, who was setting up one of these groups, I won't say which one, rang me and said, Helen, you know, I think that we should be socialist. And I said, no, no, you shouldn't be socialist because, you know, there's people who have this issue in every point of the political spectrum. You should be politically neutral. And that's actually the way they went. And then she and I saw each other at dinner a couple of months ago and after she'd had a few glasses of wine. She leaned across the table and she said, Helen, I've wanted to know this for ages. Are you a Tory? <laughs> I'm politically non-aligned, you know, I've never ever identified with any party. No. but I just thought, you know I, and I mean, you know, one of the other groups, they put out their statements and that they say things like the abolition of the family is one of their goals. Mm.
1: And, you know,
0: mm. and mm. more than half the women I now know are lesbians. You know it just a yeah. group of people I would never have met otherwise, which is fantastic. So yeah. I guess i mm. I guess I didn't know how sort of set in my ways I had got and how limited my thinking was. That's been good.
2: And you got your book signed by JK Rowling. That's a nice fringe benefit there.
0: <laughs> and a photograph I took of JK Rowling with my F got put on the front page of the London Times. What was they the didn't even room? credit no, I don't know, they just it was a picture of the two of them about ladies who lunch or something. <laughs> but they didn't even ask me. They just took it from my Twitter feed. <laughs> but anyway, I now have a photo credit of the London Times. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> so let's let's plug your work. So, "Trans: uh, When Ideolo- Ideology Meets Reality" by Helen Joyce is uh, coming out in the UK paperback version, F- right?
0: Fifth of May paperback version, and then about a month later in the states, the paperback. The states. Yeah, yeah, and it's Excellent. got a new a new forward and afterward. So okay. I've written about what it's been like the past year as a forward, and I've updated some of the most and consequential moving stories in the afterward. Mm-hmm. Um dedication to Stephanie which I think is uh, more than merited uh, because she's the person who uh, as, Ste- as Stephanie said in an event that we were both at recently she said I think of it as my book so that's fine <laughs> it, it is it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's done really well which is great and um, you know I hmm. hear politicians are reading it and policy makers and so on but you know there's more to do a lot
2: and Stephanie and you have uh, transgender trend is that still trending
1: Oh, yes, yeah, we're, we're, you know, we've got other things in production at the moment that we're working on. um, We want to produce a a simple guide for parents um, and another book. Uh, This is always ongoing. Um, But I remember when when I spoke to you a year and a half ago, you asked me, because I think I'd said somewhere, my work here is done. Um, And I think it was, Start of the cast review and yes a certain statement from the Department for Education in their RSE guidance. And a year and a half down the line, I was right, wasn't I? I was, you know, I I I, I think that. And and but there is an awful lot of work still to be done. And um a lot of my work, I and mean, in fact, most of my work is behind the scenes. And now. I'm you know increasingly over the last few years, but more and more I'm being listened to, and so that the sort of um, the, the policies and the and the, the legislation all the, all that a- area still needs an awful lot of work, and Helen knows this as well uh, but 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 also just you know there, we are turning around a tanker and yeah. there's an awful lot of damage to undo yes Um, yes we're uh, uh, yeah can i can i mix the metaphor
0: i'll mix the metaphor with the tanker and say that i mean there's you know there's bindweed japanese or japanese knotweed some horrendous Mm -hmm. weed that has got like roots right down everywhere are you a gardener at all benjamin no all right these are weeds where if you pull them up the roots go down about two feet and tentacles go out and they spread and you can't just pull up the top So Mm. we can go around the place and we can say, you know, get rid of that bad school's guidance and put in this good school's guidance. But unfortunately, teachers for 15 years or 10 years have been learning nonsense. And so there's a massive cleanup operation that has to be done now. But yeah, the the, the things things are turning, but then we've got to go around the country and clear out all the bindweed. Mm.
2: Mm.
1: It feels to me that the last the last seven years that I've been doing this has been like a game of whack-a-mole. You know, you, you think you've done something and then something else pops up. And then uh, it, it's been a combination of a game of whack-a-mole and spinning plates. My God, I think we've got like a tanker binding <laughs> yeah. whack-a-mole
0: and spinning plates there.
1: And the, this is just in my head.
0: <laughs> we need another one. We need a whole hand's worth of mixed metaphors.
2: <laughs> well, we just have a metaphor fluid pinky
1: yeah the okay yeah, there we go okay. the opposed, yeah,
0: yeah. it's a spectrum it's a spectrum of, yes, of like everything
1: <laughs> certainly um, not a binary
2: no <laughs> well i i just want to thank you both for all of the work that you've done and for allowing me to uh learn so much from you and for you know speaking with each other now too so just i completely honored to be honored, uh, just thought of highly or marginally by you guys. So thank you. Benjamin, there
0: wasn't anyone else. I'm joking.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You've been going on the circuit.
0: Yeah. No, well, thank you for doing all that you're doing. And I mean, in particular, the detransitioner interviews. Mm. And we moved on from your point about the boys. You know, I do care about the boys. And I do see that there's Mm. no, um, there's no ideological.
2: It's not ready that I just, I just wanted to put that in, into this interview uh, just to put it out there anybody that's listening to this that that the boys are a different problem and they need some space Mm -hmm. and 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 there uh, isn't there isn't a movement
0: like feminism to take them into under its under its end no
2: no we we have fascism um (laughs) that's what us men have you know it's either fascism or or oh don't say that I
0: have two I have two (laughs) lovely I know but I have two lovely sons and I want the world to be nice for them too and I want you know good things for them
1: yeah Yeah, but you're doing great work yeah, fantastic work, um, and and there are so many people now doing fantastic. I mean, you've been at it yeah. for years, Benjamin. I know, yeah. but but so many more people. Um, A lot of organizations now. and really fantastic people. Yeah. You know, you just feel well. This is in safe hands. You know, it, it's it, how much the landscape has changed since I started. It's just phenomenal. Um and I'm I'm so in awe of the people who are taking this forward. Um people like you, Helen, like Maya Forstater, like um Alison Bailey, like I I'm gonna miss out loads of people here. I shouldn't have started making a list. But you know, there are the thing you say, I, is I, I Stephanie, is you
0: know who you are.
1: <laughs> you <Yes. laughs> all know who you are. And 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 so you know, there are those who were there at the start um, and and then those who are taking it on now. And to, to watch that progress has been a real honour, actually. I, I just love everybody who's doing something in this area in their different ways, from their different political persuasions or different beliefs. I just think everybody is, is doing such a fantastic job. And Benjamin is the chronicle, chronicler of it all. Yes, yeah. I know. You've really documented this whole story that's yeah. been going on.
2: Well, you're either the and footnote it's... or the guy who's arranging the footnotes. So I wanted to be the guy arranging the footnotes. So. It's
1: not that at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's really
0: nothing like that.
2: No, but Thank it is phenomenal, this, the, the, the way that we've been able to see. It, it's, kind of, it's a small enough, and I was early enough to actually watch the dynamics of, of a pretty um important uh social uh, mm. movement and mm. seeing all the ins and outs of that and it's something i care about too you know so
0: glad you've done great work thank you so
1: much yeah
2: thank yeah. you um helen do you actually play spanish guitar is that just uh, something that looks good what? against a pink There's i a used spanish... i
1: used to and it's
0: sat there in in the hope that i will pick it up again my okay. son plays very well my older okay. son my, my younger so you... son plays harp
2: you can't give us a little tune? No. <laughs> no. Okay. I
0: can, out, I tell you, do you remember that you asked me in my previous, um, in the previous interview you did what I, what things mm-hmm. I made? Yeah, yeah, So yeah. That, that picture and this top, I wore this oh. top specially.
2: So, to I, I really you. like the color and the pattern. Uh, Stephanie, do you have like a hands-on activity that you're comfortable sharing with the world? Like your little fun thing I, to get I your ma- I on? Make,
1: I make sculpture, Benjamin.
2: Oh, Really? Mm. Oh, What's Ste- your medium? Steph-
1: Stephanie's a well-known well sculptor I'm, I'm a sculptor
2: I did not know that Yeah. Send me pictures and I'll put it in so
0: oh, He, did, he it. did that for me last time, Stephanie I sent some pictures
1: of embroidery okay. and he stuck them up at okay. the end Because
2: so. you're, you're more than just talking heads some
1: We're more than just heads. pretty faces, aren't we? <laughs> yeah <laughs> 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 We leave that to Benjamin yeah. Oh, yes. yeah, okay <laughs>